If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. There's an awful lot of truth in that Sunday school hymn, as we'll see next on Truth For Today. Actions, they do speak louder than words, and we will see that clearly here in the book of Ephesians on today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Hi there. Welcome to our program. Our time together takes us back to Ephesians and our series simply called God's Design for Life. Part of that design is acting like who we are. You call yourself a Christian? Do you act like it? What does it mean to act like a Christian? These are questions we'll answer next. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's program. Insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Americans do. No, the Californians, you get the idea. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. When you choose to be hard towards God, he's going to let you get dumber and dumber, deader and deader, and your understanding will be darkened about spiritual things. Obstinate hearts, intentionally against God, leads to divine, allowed, and even cause ignorance. Why should you want to know more about someone you already resist? God doesn't owe people a knowledge of himself. And when you shut that out, and this is exactly the picture in Romans 1, when they did not want to retain what could be known about God, God gave them up gave them up to ignorance, gave them up to all kinds of depraved behavior. But it started, we don't treasure what can be known of God. We don't want to know God. It's a dangerous thing to say that to God because he can answer your requests permanently for eternity. They've lost all sensitivity. That is moral, ethical sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, primarily sexual, but it includes a vast array, with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Contrast, you believers, you didn't come to be discipled in Christ when you heard the gospel and were instructed. None of this that the Gentiles are known for. You didn't get to know Christ that way. Sensuality, ignorance, futile. No. When you were discipled in Christ, you heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, King James, the old man, and that's the literal word, but they use it, old man or self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, he's going to develop this theme all the way through chapter 5, verse 15, but I'm going to leave off here. We'll have plenty to deal with. Uh, Acting like who you are. That's what he's telling them. He's told them for three chapters who they are as believers in Christ. But they weren't always believers in Christ. They at one time had been unconverted Gentiles. Now, there were some nice pagans. There were some nice Gentiles. They may not have done every bad thing that he names, but they were known for specializing in it. The old life the old life before coming to Christ. And so now he's beginning to tell them uh, what you ought to be looking like now that you've got a brand new identity with Christ. Who are you? That's a great philosophical question. And if you don't have the answer, it can drive you batty. Let's say in an evolutionary model, who am I? I am the sum total of time plus chance plus an impersonal beginning that I don't know if it was a Big Bang, an amoeba, a pond. I really don't know. But there's a chain out there and some gorillas are said to be my uncle because I am an evolving person. Uh, Who am I? I've been called an idiot all my life. I've been called this. So you get an identity from the peers and the family you are around. Who are you? But he's talking to the saints at Ephesus, people who had come to faith in Christ. And he asked them, who are you? And we dealt with that in Ephesians 1. And we'll just look at it briefly again. Besides who you are, can you know who everybody else around you is. Can you figure out their spiritual identity? Are you able to go into a room and figure out who the believers are and who the unbelievers aren't? Should you be able to look in a culture and say, these are believers, these aren't? Can the identity be recognized? Or is it something, I'm a Christian on Sunday and I live like hell Monday through Saturday? And give me credit one day a week for being a Christian. The other six days, don't you dare say I'm a hellion because I'll fight you and cuss you because I'm a Christian. You play deacon on Sunday and you're playing poker on Wednesday. And you're going by the liquor store on Friday. And you, can we know who a person is? I've never seen such a day that we say you can't know. Because people in the church act as bad as those outside of it. The moral standard is about the same as outside. The divorce rate is about the same as outside. So everybody says, well, they claim a lot. They boast a lot, but you can't see any difference. Uh, Let me give you four ways to help figure out who a person is and figure out who you are. Uh, let's just look. The first test here. Turn to John 15, 8. I'm listening. Yes. We have Bibles in those pews. 
Today, we usually print a lot of the verses in the notes because people won't crack a Bible. Uh, get over it. You're in a Bible church. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, sowing yourselves to be my disciples. So disciples have fruit. I appreciate you being able to figure out the answers as I lead you into that. Matthew, look at Matthew. Well, you just can't be judging, you know, other people. Uh, they say they're Christian, they're Christian, right? And, and who are we to judge? And doesn't that sound sanctimonious? It's so gooey, it sticks. Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets. We don't deal with a lot of those around here. We just deal with false Christians. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I always quote my dad on this. My dad always asks, you know how you can tell a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing? I said, how? He said, track him. He makes the same tracks as a wolf. The garment doesn't change how he walks. Uh, by their fruit, you will not know who they are. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears. Eh, we all bear the same. What does it say? What kind? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Mm. Mm. So if a tree is acting bad and claiming to be good, it doesn't know anything about horticulture. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. First test, the fruit test. What a person does is what they are. You judge them by what their activity is. You don't even have to be smart. If a person lies to you all the time, they're a liar. You don't have to be, you're not even being judgmental. You're just saying, you know what? I keep seeing peaches. And if it keeps having peaches, we're going to call you a peach tree. And if you keep lying to me, and if you keep using foul language, I'm going to call you a liar and a cusser. Hell's angels could figure it out. It's about time the saints did. A person is judged, and it's accurate to judge them by what they act like. And it's not a penal judgment. It's an appraisal. That must be what they are. Uh, then look at Matthew 7 here. Um, let's go down to, um, uh, well, well, I'll read it. We'll get two principles out of 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, Christ is concluding the world's greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end, he knows in his audience he has two kinds of people, two ways. There's never 15 kinds of people when God's dealing with them. Those who are on the rock, those on the sand, those who bear good fruit, those who bear bad fruit. 
those who don't know him, those who do know him. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I call it uh, the standing the storm test. Have you ever had anybody say, well, I used to serve God until he let all this bad stuff happen to me. Both people experienced the storm. The man or woman built on the rock and the one built on the sand. The thing in common was the storm. The storm tested both. But the revelation of really who was building their life on Christ versus on the sand is revealed that the life built on Christ does not fold up in the storm. It remains standing because it's built on a rock. Using suffering or pain as your excuse to say, I walked away from God, it only reveals you never were built on the rock. Thirdly, and we take it right from here, the obedience test. He said, there's two kinds of people, those who hear what I teach and those who hear and do what I teach. Those who obey what they hear, these are true believers. Those who just hear it, hearing 15 radio programs a week, they know all the cliches, they know all the uh, Christianese, and they know all the inside lingo, that means nothing. Hearers of the word are dime a dozen. It's the doer of the word that is different. And then I would say, finally, we won't go there, but if you look at these other passages, it's similar. The practice or pattern test. Uh, a, he who practices sin is born of the devil. Uh, he that practices righteousness is of God. Now, we believers sin. John said that. But it ought to be the exception of our life, not the pattern. When you come to Christ, he breaks those old patterns and you begin to put them behind you and you begin to form new patterns of living. And so when we do sin, John says, confess it. God will cleanse you and forgive you. If we claim that we never do sin, then we are making him a liar and we're lying in that. So we do sin. But Thank God it's not our whole way of life. We get to go and confess it to the Lord. Well, let's look at who are you. Let's do a little review here. Let's compare who you were in God's sight. And uh, since we've already in Ephesians 1 and 2 looked quite a bit at who we are, uh, listen to how he describes the old man, the old life, our old identity that we all had. Uh, he says these things about us. Before Christ, you were a dead man. If you know how to make the dead live, help yourself. Only God could resurrect a dead man, dead in sin, dead in trespasses. And it goes down through here. We were controlled by sin, separated from Christ. Then we look at the passage. He begins to tell us in chapter 4 that Hey, we were alienated from God. We were in spiritual darkness. We had a hard heart. We were insensitive to God. Our morals were bankrupt as a culture. 
You may not have done all that you could have done, but the Gentile world was known in its Diana worship and Artemis and all of its false gods, a very, very dirty, promiscuous culture. Someone says America is finally coming back to the first century culture that the New Testament was written to. We've been better than the New Testament culture, but we're catching up with it. I mean, it was bad, bad. Morality was not in. So he said, I tell you, don't live in the futility of their thinking. And this means a mindset. They have a mindset to do things, and futility is the word vanity in Ecclesiastes. They're empty. They're aimless. They're purposeless in their mindset. They've always got their mind on lust, uh, some sin, maybe ego, possessions, pride. Uh, their mind is just empty after all of their striving. All of their philosophers say life is uh, a hoax. It's vanity. It's empty. God is not in the mindset. And so all that's left to do is to do sex, booze, snort a little, and get all you can while you can. For sure, the 60s did that. And we're there again. Despair's in the culture. It was in that culture. And so when you dealt with their mind, their mindset was a mindset of purposelessness. I, I mean, I see kids on the block hanging out at liquor stores. Hanging, where are you going to school? I'm not going, man. What are you doing? I, none of your business. Uh, I hate my mama. I'm dealing. And then if you get the sophisticated crowd that's got a little money and a little education, what is man all about? We don't know. But I'm trying to find my spirituality. And what's that? New age. Just kind of, I feel spiritual. You do? What's that? Is the, does that mean the Holy Spirit? No, no, I just feel uh, something stir. Uh, whoa, uh oh, I, I'm on a trip right now. Bring the crystals. Uh, let me think. I'm going to go to other planets right now in my spirit and see if Shirley's out there. <laughs> and we're going to just float. Uh, I mean, they're not hurting anybody. This is just kind of, you go to Arizona and you, you pay mega bucks for a weekend and you just float. And you're out there with Shirley and the others. You know, she's become a god. I'm a god. You are? I'm a little disappointed, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> that, that's it? I told you when I was at the court waiting to do jury duty, a gal called me a god. I said, honey, you haven't been doing my laundry. The gods aren't this bad off. You got to get a little bit higher. But it, it just sounds good. It sounds sophisticated, doesn't it? Oh, I'm in touch. No, you're touched. <laughs> but I've got a PhD. Well, that could be a post hole digger too. <laughs> I don't know. But the Gentiles are out here just creating and up here and it feels good, and we got Bacchus, and we get drunk. That means we're really, we got Dionysus. How do we know you went to worship Dionysus? We always come back drunk. We just call it the antlers. 
But they used to have a temple. You got drunk and they named it God. Let's name the goddess Dionysus, the god of drink. Oh, you want sex? Well, let's add religion to it. If you can have religious sex, that is the ultimate experience. You go up to the temple of Diana or Artemis, or if you're in Corinth, Aphrodite. And a part of the theology was in the orgasm. You're knowing the gods better for you're having sex with the gods, but he's using a woman down here, a temple prostitute. The way God's people have been corrupted for years all the way back to Israel is if you can mix enough sex with religion, you can corrupt almost anyone. Israel knew the true God and was given a true moral standard. But the gods of Canaan said, you can go up on the altar in the groves and have sex on the Sabbath and your sexual experience, we'll call it sacred, holy, and pious for you're having sex with the gods. And God says, for this Israel, I'm going to drive you out of my land. It's interesting when he told Israel to build altars, he said, I do not want the priests walking up on the altar. You know why? When you walk up, you might see their genitals. I don't want any nudity connected with my worship. The false gods had high altars so they could show off their sexual organs and then lay some young girl on an altar and said, let's have a boogie time worshiping the gods and blast her mind on sex. God said, I will expel you from this land. Two things to always identify false teachers, sex and money. If they destroy the home, they're teaching the doctrines of demons. And if they want your money, they haven't been to the cross. Call them what they are. Our women ought to be safe around Christian men. And the men said, amen. amen. Immorality is not a part of our faith. The blessed of sexuality in marriage, help yourself. Proverbs says, blow your mind in your bedroom if you want, but be sure it's your wife. But you Gentiles, you know how you lived. Guys in this church that I have told me the story, three sexual experience a daytime, they've told me. I've been three women at a time in the day, thought nothing of it. That night hung out at the barn drank until I was nearly half dead and go to work at seven in the morning. How long did you live that way? As long as I could show up. You Gentiles, you know how you were. You Ephesian believers, you know what it's like out there. But you've been saved. And so you've been coming into a new life. You are a saint. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You have been chosen. You have been predestined. You have been in, uh, given the Holy Spirit. You're different than what you were. Who are you? What he's really going to do is what our dad used to tell us boys. It's simple. Get it. Some of you, you young people won't get this. It's too deep. But I want to show you the deep wisdom I grew up on. He would tell us boys. If you've got any brains, act like it. Have you ever heard that? How many of you grew up on that great family saying? If I heard that once, how many times did we hear that? Boy, if you've got any brains, act like it. But, Dad, I got brains. 
It's questionable right now. The verdict's out. And what he's saying to these believers, if you've got Christ, if you learn Christ, you did not come to know Christ like the Gentiles in their hard hearts, their impure lives, their sensuality, their bankrupt morals, just like California. You didn't learn Christ that way. You learned Christ a different way. You were instructed in him that this is an old way of living. You learned Christ and his wonderful person, his majesty, his redeeming love. He is a wonderful God that brought you over into a new you. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. Again, information can be had at 855-833-9864 or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. God bless.